This message is brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, we encourage you to visit us online at tabernaclehickory.org. That's tabernaclehickory.org. You can find our sermons on a number of platforms, including Apple iTunes, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. We trust that God will use this message to speak to your heart. Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday is a time of victory for the believer. I'd like to ask you, if you would, to take God's Word and go with me into the New Testament to the book of John, John John chapter number 12. John chapter number 12. And we'll begin reading in verse number 20 in the Gospel according to John, chapter number 12. And verse number 20, as we come to John chapter number 12, we find that Jesus, in the final week of his earthly life, and we find him in Jerusalem, he has made what is often termed as his triumphant entry into Jerusalem. We read of that in verses 12 through 19, where the Lord Jesus came into Jerusalem riding upon a donkey. The people uh, lined the, the road on either side, and before him they laid their garments. They also laid uh, the palms of the trees uh, upon the ground. Last Sunday was known as Palm Sunday. If you wonder where that term comes from, you find that it was uh, the day that Jesus entered into Jerusalem and they laid the palms before him. And now he has come into Jerusalem, and as he came into Jerusalem, the people who lined the road and the path in front of him, they cried out, and they said, Hosanna, Blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. What an entry he had into Jerusalem. As we come to verse number 20, uh, we find the Pharisees uh, were greatly concerned about his popularity and they were seeking to uh, destroy him in verse 20. In the midst of the rejection of the Pharisees, the Bible points out to us, beginning there in verse 20, and there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. The same came therefore to Philip, which was a Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. Philip cometh and telleth Andrew, and again Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat shall fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall also my servant be. 
If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. The people, therefore, that stood by and heard it said that it thundered. Others said an angel spake to him. Jesus answered and said, This voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. I'd like to note, if you would please, the statement that the Greeks made in verse number 21 as they came to his disciples and particularly to Philip, and they said, Sir, we would see Jesus. I want to speak to you just for a few few moments on that subject. We would see Jesus. This is Resurrection Sunday. All across our nation, people are celebrating Easter. And whether it's unknown to them or not, they are celebrating the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is an observance that uh, we still commemorate in our nation. And much of the world will pause at least to acknowledge uh, the significance of it. As the Lord Jesus was in Jerusalem, we find that the Jews at large had rejected him. Though he taught them with authority, though he worked powerfully to perform miracles in their sight, uh, largely they uh, had rejected him. And in just a few days, the crowd will cry out, crucify him. You won't be able to find the, the crowd that cried Hosanna to the king of Israel. They'll be long gone. Maybe some of them, by, by the time you get to the next few days, will have been carried away with the drift of the culture that said, crucify him. And perhaps they will be among that number. And so uh, we find then that there's just a, a small fragment of people who come to Jesus in verse number 20 and they're not Jews, they're Greeks. They are Gentiles, and most likely they are Gentiles who have been converted to Judaism, and they hear about Jesus, and they see people who have been touched by his miraculous hands, and, and they hear of his teachings, and it is their desire that they would be able to spend a few moments with Jesus. And our world today is curious about Jesus. As we saw in Mark chapter number 6, there's a number of people who are enamored with Jesus. They are uh, curious about him, but they are not inquiring concerning faith in him. 
They're amazed by his impact on our culture and our society, but they are not willing themselves to bow the knee to him, to confess him as Lord and Savior. But we find a group in verse 20 who had an interest in seeing Jesus. We live in a world that needs to see Jesus, and perhaps you're here this morning and you would say in your heart to the Lord, I want to see Jesus. As they bring this request to the Lord, we find that he does not answer their request directly. In fact, we notice his answer, and, and it, it sort of uh, appears to us to be indirect at best to the question. We want to see Jesus. And Jesus is going not to just only or simply answer their request, but he's going to take that opportunity to speak to all who would desire to see Jesus. Not just those Greeks in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, but to all who throughout time and throughout the world would desire to see Jesus, he wants to reveal himself to you. But I want you to see he does not reveal himself as they expected. I want you to note with me three things. We'll, we'll, we'll look at them quickly this morning. First of all, if we would see Jesus, we will see him glorified. Notice verse number 23. And Jesus answered them saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Here we find this group of Greeks had enough faith to inquire concerning the person of the Lord Jesus. And he is responding to them in, in an unusual way. He says, the hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Now, throughout the gospel of John and throughout the public ministry of the Lord Jesus, he spoke of his hour. For example, in John chapter number 2 and verse number 4, when Jesus came to the wedding uh, at Cana of Galilee, he said in verse 4, Jesus saith unto her, that is to his mother, uh, woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. So we see him speaking of this hour. Perhaps his mother questioned what hour it was that he was speaking of. In John chapter 7 and verse number 6, the Bible said, then Jesus said unto them, mine time is not yet come. But your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you, but me it hateth, because I testify of it, that the works thereof are evil. Go ye up into this feast. I go not up yet unto this feast, for my time is not yet full come. In this conversation, he is speaking to his brothers who have urged him to go up to Jerusalem for the feast. And Jesus makes it known to them that his time has not yet come. Then again, in John chapter 7 and verse number 30, the Bible said, Then they sought to take him, but no man laid hands on him, because his hour was not yet come. And so we find that Jesus' hour has not come. In chapter 8 and verse number 20, we read a very similar statement. He said, These words spake Jesus in the treasury as he taught in the temple. And no man laid hands on him, for his hour was not yet come. Uh, here we find that the Jews who were filled with envy and hatred, especially the scribes and the Pharisees, they desired to kill him. And 
they looked for an opportunity to lay hands on him, but his hour was not yet come. The appointed time of his sacrificial substitutionary death had not come, and therefore no one could take his life from him. He would freely lay it down for us. And so Jesus said, my hour, verse 23, is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Now, remember what the Jews are looking for here. They're looking for a coronation. They want a king who will come and who will rule and reign in Jerusalem. They want a king who will deliver them from Roman oppression. They want a king who will continue to feed them like he fed the multitude, the loaves and the fishes. They want a king who will continue to heal them of every plague and every disease. That's the kind of king they're looking for. And they're looking for a coronation. But there will be no coronation in this hour. There is only a cross. And Jesus said, in this hour, I'll be glorified. And so as we say with the Greeks, we would see Jesus. I want you to understand, we will see him glorified. And secondly, I want you to see, as we see him glorified, as I mentioned a moment ago, that does not mean a coronation. That does not mean a crown. That does not mean a throne to sit upon. That means a cross, a cross. Notice, if you would, please, in verse 24, the Bible says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die... It bringeth forth much fruit. Here the Lord Jesus is testifying of the death that he will suffer. Notice, if you would please, in John 12 and verse 32, Jesus said, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. He is signifying in this statement the fact that he is going to hang upon a cross and be crucified and that he will suffer and die. In verse number 24, he uses a picture that all of them would so readily understand. He uses the picture of a seed, a corn of wheat. And, he, and, and the picture of that corn of wheat is that it is sown into the ground, that the farmer places it into the ground. It falls from the hand of the farmer into the ground, and it is covered. And that seed is it is planted into the ground, and it is covered. It remains there in the ground. And Jesus said, except this corn of wheat fall into the ground and die. He is speaking of his death. This speaks of three things. I, I want to point them out to you quickly. It speaks, first of all, of his incarnation. It speaks of his incarnation, the fact that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the creator of the universe, Jesus Christ, who spoke this world into existence, that Jesus, that same Jesus who thought it not robbery to be equal with God was made in the likeness of men, Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 7. His incarnation. He became a man for us. God became a man so that he might come to us. It also speaks not only of his incarnation, but it speaks of his humiliation. This this. Uh, one who was 
equal with God, co-eternal with God. He not only became a man, but he humbled himself, the Bible says in Philippians 2. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He humbled himself and took upon himself not only the form of a man, but the form of a servant. And Jesus Christ is seen here in his humiliation. He submitted himself to his parental authorities. He, he submitted himself to civil authorities. He submitted himself to the will of his father. We see him in his incarnation and in his humiliation. But not only that, this speaks of his propitiation, the payment that he made for our sin. I, I want to invite you to look with me, if you would, please, in 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, we'll read verse number 21. Why did this corn of wheat have to fall into the ground and die? Because there was no other way for our sins to be atoned, but that Jesus would make the payment. And there was no other one who could make the payment but Jesus. That's why God had to become a man. That necessitates the incarnation. That necessitates his humiliation. In verse number 21, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, for he hath made him, he, that is God the Father, hath made him, that is God the Son, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, was made sin for us. As he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. We find that the cup is the cup of our sin. He, was, he who knew no sin was made to be sin for us. And so he drank the cup of our iniquity, the cup of our sin, and he bore that sin upon the cross of Calvary. The Bible says in Romans chapter 4 and verse 25 that Jesus was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. A powerful, powerful record of this is found in Isaiah chapter number 53. Isaiah chapter number 53. The prophet foretells of the sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in Isaiah 53, in verse number 1, the Bible says, Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he, that is Jesus, shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no, no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Verse 3, he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with griefs. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Verse 4, surely he, that is Jesus, hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. That's our sin. He was bruised for our iniquities, for our sin. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned to everyone his own way, 
and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. Who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul. He shall be satisfied by his knowledge that my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and bare intercession, or made intercession, rather, for the transgressors. Why did Jesus die on the cross? He died for you and me. What did Jesus do on the cross? He made the payment for our sin. He satisfied the righteous demands of a holy God. The sinless Son of God was the Lamb that bore our sins. You say, sirs, we would see Jesus. That means we must see him glorified. His hour has come. It means we must see him crucified as a corn of wheat that falls into the ground and dies. They took his body from the cross and they placed him in the tomb and they sealed the tomb and the farmer rolls the soil over the seed to cover it. We see him crucified. I want you to go back with me, if you would, please, into John chapter number 12. We see a third thing. Jesus said in verse 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. We see him glorified. We see him crucified. Thirdly, we see him multiplied. We see him multiplied. You say, wait a minute. I, I thought he was dead. <laughs> I thought that was the end of it. No, 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 no. It was necessary that he die. You see the seed that little bitty seed that the farmer sows into the ground, it has all kinds of potential, doesn't it? Uh, they talk about Johnny Appleseed, and <laughs> he would go across the nation planting the seeds of apple trees. And I don't know how many apple trees Johnny Appleseed planted, but obviously he planted quite a few. And in that one seed, in that one seed, there's an innumerable number of apples that can be produced. Think of that. That one seed planted into the ground, covered. It had to die. It had to be planted into the ground. But something takes place. A transformation takes place. And all of that potential life springs out of that dead seed. 
I don't know how it works. I don't understand it all, but I know this, it does work. That seed is planted, and after a few days, something will begin to be evidently seen above the surface of the ground. Maybe it's just a leaf. Maybe it's just a stem, just a small growth. But there it is, nevertheless. I remember when we were in elementary school, we planted seeds in little milk cartons. Many of you have done that. And we, prog- we watched it progress. And the excitement we had when we saw this life begin to just move beyond the surface of the ground, and we could see it for the first time. You see, that seed begins to produce life, and eventually there's a tree there. And that tree, year by year, grows, and it gets larger, and it gets stronger. There are leaves and branches on that tree. Eventually, there's fruit on that tree. And in that fruit, there are many more seeds. And I want you to think just from one seed is the potential to fill the landscape of this world with all the fruits and trees that you would ever need. It's all contained in one seed. And Jesus Christ, our Lord, having satisfied the righteous demands of a holy God, having made the payment for the penalty of our sin, was buried in the tomb. But I want you to know he wasn't dead. There was an amazing thing happening. And on the third day, On the third day when the women went to the tomb, they found the stone was rolled away. They went inside and they saw a young man sitting there. And he he questioned, why are you here seeking the living among the dead? Come, see the place where the Lord lay. He is risen as he said. You see, life began to spring forth from that dry, barren ground. From that tomb that was cold and damp and hopeless And dark, there came a ray of light, an array of life. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was risen. And he conquered as he arose death and hell and the grave. I want you to go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. In verse number 20, the Apostle Paul here writing of the necessity of the doctrine of the resurrection uh, writes in verse number 19, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 19, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Let me tell you what he means by that. If Jesus just came to be a good teacher and a good moral compass, and a good example for us to follow. If that was the only reason he was here, if that's the only thing he accomplished, then we still have no hope. We're still lost in our sins. We're still headed for the grave. Do you know the Bible says it is appointed unto men once to die? Now, you don't have to be very intelligent to know this, but one out of every one people die. That's 100% right, friends. Death has a great success rate. 
And if I have hope in Christ, in other words, if, if, if I find some example to follow, some pattern, some behavioral thing, some inspirational thought in Jesus, but I don't find salvation and redemption and hope beyond the grave, I am of all men most miserable. But then he goes on to write verse 20. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. That means that Jesus became the first fruits, meaning this. It means that when he came from the grave, he came to die no more. When he laid down his life for you and I and he died on the cross and he was buried in that tomb, he was resurrected by the supernatural power of the Holy Ghost and the power of the Son of God. He, he came up out of that grave and he died no more. Every resurrection you read of in the Bible, every resurrection, whether it be the widow's son or Jairus' daughter or the young man that, that Paul brought to life or the Old Testament prophet uh, brought to life, in every one of those instances, that person who was raised again died. But Jesus came to life never to die again. He is the first fruits of them that slept. That means he conquered death, and he gives everlasting life to all who will believe. Now, notice what the Bible says, verse 21. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Here's the question for you this morning. Are you in Adam or are you in Christ? All of us who are born were born in Adam. All of us who are here are born. That means all of us were at one point or still are in Adam. We were born with a natural birth. We were born with a natural defect. It's sin. It's inherent in our nature. And under Adam and the curse of sin, we all die. Jesus, the Son of God, became a man to die Adam's death and to die it in your stead and mine so that I wouldn't have to. And so we find that while in Adam all die, in Christ shall all be made alive. I don't have to die Adam's death, although this outward body is going to perish. But when it perishes, I've got some good news for those who believe on Jesus. Once this outward body perishes, my life does not come to a close. I just change addresses. I move into the presence of God. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I am with him for eternity. If I do not know the Lord Jesus and I die without him, I die in Adam, I want you to understand that my life will not cease to exist at the moment that I die. I will move. But I won't move to heaven to be with Jesus. I'll move to hell, a place prepared for the devil and his angels. That the Bible calls the second death. That is the wages of sin. That's why Jesus came, to suffer your death for you so that you wouldn't have to. And I want you to know that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's why Jesus, the Son of God, 
humbled himself, became a man, and died on the cross to save you from your sin. And by the nature of his resurrection, his victory over death and hell and the grave, he offers to you eternal life. And if you will by faith receive him, you will receive that everlasting life. I want you to look, notice as we close in John chapter number in John chapter number 12. Jesus said, Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. That much fruit is all those who will believe on him. And so how do we receive it? Notice verse 25. He that loveth his life shall lose it. And he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. We have an opportunity that is to respond to Jesus. Will we come to him? You see, not only is there death for Jesus to die for our sin, but there's a death that we must die and suffer, and that is death to self and death to the world. Are you willing, friends, are you willing to give your life to Jesus? Are you willing to lose it so that you might keep it? Are you willing to love what is beyond this world more than what is in this world? Are you willing to allow the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to dictate your life? That's the question. And so if you would see Jesus this morning, you're going to see him glorified. You're going to see him crucified. And you're going to see him multiplied to life everlasting. But only if you will believe, if you will submit to him, repent of your sin, and come to Jesus, then you will share in his resurrection. Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used his word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.